the school is out. Which means it's time for Hi Kids. Good afternoon and welcome to the Hi Kids show. This is Hi Kids, for Kids, by Kids. Hi Kids! My name is Bria Kat and I'm 11 years old and I'm your host for today. Coming up on Hi Kids today, I have Candace Davies. She is a social worker. What is a social worker? Just stay tuned to 101.9 Chai FM and you will soon find out. If you have any questions for my guest Candice, or if you just want to say hi to your friends and family, the SMS number is 34519 and is charged at 1 Rand 50. You can send me a telegram on 061-895-1019 and please don't forget to sign your name. You can also call us on 010-140-3020. I repeat, 010-140-3020. Get ready for a very interesting show on Chai Kids today. You're listening to Chai Kids on 101.9 High FM. This is Chai Kids, for Kids, Bar Kids. My name is Bria Katz and I'm 11 years old. I have Candace Davies in studio with me. So send your questions to 34519 or telegram to 061-895-1019. Good afternoon. Hi, Bria. Thanks for having me. Such a pleasure. I'm so excited. Me too. So can you please tell us what a social worker is? Sure. So um, there are a few things just to think about when we're talking about what a social worker is. The first is that it's generally a person who has a desire to help people. Um, and someone who's been to a university, studied a degree, and has actually qualified in in that degree. So you can't just decide to be a social worker and go out and say, I'm a social worker. You actually have to have a degree. You then register with a professional board in South Africa that kind of um, makes sure that everyone's doing what they should be doing, like a professional board does that. Um, and generally, social workers are, like I said, they want to help people and are usually kind of interfacing between parties. What I mean by that is um, you get social workers who work in different areas of work. So you get social workers who like to work with adoption. You have social workers who um, often work with children, family courts, things like that. So they advocate for people's rights. They often are the in-between person between, for example, let's say a child and the court system, they would act as the kind of protector of the child in the best interest of the child. And then you get social workers who, even though they've done all their training and they can work kind of with adoption or the statutory boards or courts, um, they decide rather to work more clinically, which is the kind of social work that I do. Okay, so it's a whole process to become a social worker. That's it. It's not just like you wake up one day, go to college, get a degree, and all of a sudden you're a college. You're a social worker. No. Sorry. Quite a process. <laughs> quite a process. So it sounds a bit like a psychologist. What is yeah. the difference between a social worker and a psychologist? That's a great question. So if you practice clinical social work, which is what I do, so like sometimes people will phone me and say, um, 
there's a custody hearing between my ex-wife and me. Can you please um, write a report on who you think the child should live with? I don't do that kind of work because that involves laws. It involves family courts. It's, it's statutory work. I don't do that. So I work clinically. Um, and it's very similar to what psychologists do. I also have my degrees. I actually did my psychology degree at WITS, and then I did my honors in psychology. And then I took a bit of a break. I didn't really know what to do, if I should go on with doing my master's. And I decided to go into social work. So there is a lot of overlap between clinical social work and psychology. The difference is that social workers aren't allowed to formally diagnose people with behavioral or mental disorders, whereas a psychologist can. And we belong to different professional boards. Um, but in terms of like the real life practice, a lot of my colleagues are psychologists. You also have different kinds of psychologists. So everyone's just got to make sure the most important thing is that we're all working with what we are trained to work with. We don't ever give the idea that we can do what we are not trained to do. Yes, definitely. So they are quite similar. I wasn't completely off. No, no, absolutely. You are spot on. Thank you. So you you mentioned that it, you can't deal with a child and a parent, whatever. If you do do something like that, do you have to have a background in law? So, um, so there are, for example, when you do your um, social work degree, um, there are courses or course material that you have to know. For example, you have to know the Children's Act. You have to know what a Section 21 is. You've got to be very familiar with legal processes, but you don't have to have a law degree. Oh, so you don't have to have a law degree? No. So if you become a social worker, you can kind of decide what you want to do. I think I actually think as your training goes along and you're exposed to different areas, um, you're introduced to different ways of thinking. So social work's very practical. That that is a difference between the psychology and the social work degrees. With psychology degrees, you you pretty much sitting unless it's changed, which which it really could have, because I was at varsity quite a long time ago. But when I studied my psych degree, it was very academic. So you learn a lot of theory. And rightly so, because they don't want to let students work with people if you are not trained to work with people. With the social work degree, you are put into placements like children's homes or rehabilitation centers, and you are slowly introduced to practical work. And I think, getting back to your question, as you go along, you kind of start gravitating towards what grabs you, and then you kind of run with that. So what grabs you? What do you work with? So when I was doing my social work degree, I was really lucky enough to be placed at um, a number of drug and alcohol rehabilitation centers. So all my training were, was in rehabs. And um, initially, obviously, people are in rehab because they either have a drug or alcohol problem, but it's not only that. And so when I was working there... Um, what I started observing were that people would also have challenges, for example, with gambling or a lot of women have um, eating disorders. And that's really what grabbed me. So a lot of the work that I currently do is with women who have all kinds of stuff going on with food. So they've either got um, eating disorders where they starve themselves, like anorexia, or they have eating disorders where maybe they, they overeat or they use food for, for reasons that are not always just about hunger. 
So that that's what grabbed me. That's what I work a lot with. And, and addictions. I still work a lot with addictions. Which is more common, to overeat or to undereat? So that's a really good question. I actually think I'm seeing a lot of overeating. Um, I think anorexia has been around for a while. And the the overeaters kind of will always make jokes like, oh, yeah, I'm like a cereal dieter. I've dieted my whole life. And we, we just think that's normal. We just think it's normal to be on diet. Um, and I don't think there's anything normal about being on a diet. And so I actually think what's becoming more and more, um, what's showing up more and more are people that are really battling to untangle why they're eating. Is it because they are biologically hungry or they are eating because they're bored or stressed or um, overwhelmed or, you know, so I obviously, be, maybe it's because I work with it that I think it's, more prevalent it's like if you drive a you know if you're thinking of driving a ford suddenly you start seeing fords all over the over the road i don't know if there actually are more fords you're just more aware so maybe that's why i think overeating is more common yeah you definitely are more aware if you're thinking about something exactly you mentioned anorexia can you explain to our listeners what that is sure so anorexia nervosa is a clinical um, it's a clinical diagnosed eating disorder, and the hallmark of anorexia nervosa is self-starvation. So it is a case in which a person stops feeding themselves, and then a whole host of problems arise as a result of that. I'm sure that sounds like a very complicated d- sickness, I yeah. guess. You absolutely are so spot on. It's, you know, I think, I think the, the real sadness is that a lot of the time people don't really understand the complexities of these, of these disorders. And so we, we kind of think like, what's wrong with you? Just eat something, you know, or for people that are depressed, we think, oh, just like snap out of it. Life's not that bad. And people actually say this stuff to, to, People that have depression or anorexia, it's not, it's really not that simple. These are, are complicated dynamics. It's much easier said than done to just snap out of it or to just eat something. Yeah, exactly. So why would people starve themselves? Because they think they're too fat or something like that along those lines or they're just not hungry? So, um, I, you know what, it's, it's like often when I'm working with people that are in an acute phase and what, I, what that word means is it's in a tight. Um, they'll say things like, well, I'm just, I'm not hungry. Or overeaters will say, I don't know, I don't know what, I don't know when I'm hungry. Um, I don't think that's technically true. I think we all get hungry. We just lose the ability to tune into our bodies. Why someone would starve themselves is again a complicated answer. But I'll tell you the one thing that I absolutely believe. And people who know me, and follow me on Facebook or you, as, as we discuss, I'm sure in our interview, you'll hear a little bit more about what I do. But people who know me are always like, oh, Candace, you are always on about dieting. And I am because I, I think dieting and the need to be thin, the desire to be thin is um, one of the causes of eating disorders. Really? That is so interesting. Mm. I actually think now that I'm thinking about it, I think you're right. Why would people... One of the reasons I think people would starve themselves is because they look in the mirror and they think, hey, I'm fat. That's right. Definitely. So do you have an in, in individual practice? Yeah, I've got a private practice. Um, so I used to run my private practice from 
the Norwood area, not too far from here. Um, and I established a little center in Norwood, in William Road. I'm sure everybody knows the spa in Norwood. It's just opposite the spa in Norwood. And um, there were a whole lot of therapists who joined me there, and everyone kind of had their own practice dealing with a whole host of stuff. So it was a, it's great. It's still going. Um, but I live on the other side of town, so I relocated my practice, but I still have a private practice going, and I work a lot with, as I say, with women that have all kinds of stuff going on with food. I work with addictions, um, and I work with couples. So you still, do you still work with people as well? Work with other social workers right, and psychologists? Right, I'm with you. I'm with you. So at the moment, um, I'm there on my own, although, um, so maybe I'll just fill you in a little bit about what I decided to do. So I started noticing with all this work that I was doing with women and food and eating disorders and cereal dieters and basically anyone that's got weird stuff going on with food, I really noticed that um, they'd lost touch with their bodies. Learning, for example, when you're when you are hungry, you don't have to suck it out of air. You actually get a cue from your body. Generally, you'll have a feeling like your tummy will feel hollow or empty or it might even rumble. Or you, if you really leave it long, you actually start getting a headache. You might feel nauseous. These are all signs our bodies give us that, hey, I need food. People that have eating stuff going on either learn to ignore those cues or override them. And so I started noticing um, that most treatment professionals or treatment centers or anything that's kind of aimed at helping people with eating stuff weren't, weren't incorporating um, body work into their programs. So I decided, well, I'm going to move my practice closer to home and uh, I'm, a, I'm a very big yoga lover <laughs> and I want to do create something where I could bring and introduce lots of um, body movements into my work. And so I found a space in Cromerville and I opened a studio where I run my practice from and um, a studio that offers a, a wide range of uh, mental and physical wellness options to help people. That is amazing. Thank and you. I, I'm very impressed that you noticed that people, that there weren't any practices doing that and then you actually decided to go and it. Some people have these ideas like, oh, no one's doing this, but whatever, I'm not going to do it. Thanks, Bria. Yeah, listen, well, well it's done. scary, but I'm doing it. Okay, let's take a quick break of the song and we'll be right back. You're listening to High Kids on 101.9 High FM. This is High Kids, for Kids, by Kids. My name is Bria Katz and I'm 11 years old. I have Candace Davies in studio with me. If you have any questions for her, you can send an SMS to 34519 or Telegram to 061-895-1019. You can also call us on 010-140-3020. Now, let's carry on with the questions. So, it, be, before the song, you mentioned that you had... A lot of movements, you open to practice with movements and social working. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the movements that you offer to your clients? So um, I've been I've been practicing yoga for about 11 years now. And um, 
I feel that the value that yoga can offer is absolutely exceptional. So, so a big part of my studio is yoga. Um, and we do, we offer hot yoga at my studio. So we heat the studio and it's really nice and warm, really warm. You'll sweat a lot. Um, and then we also offer bar classes. So bars become this like, fad thing that everyone's doing and I'm really not one for fad diets as you know as I've just explained or anything that's like flavor of the month ish but um it's an un- I have found the most unbelievable women who run these classes and um, they are a lot of fun and the reason I, I want to offer a variety of movements and um, so maybe I'll get onto that in a minute the third the third type of movement is near near technique and that's a dance it's it's a dance class but it is so much more than dance and when people ask me what is it i always say there aren't really words for it because it's an experience that you have to have it is a and it's all about connecting with your body and my belief is that different things work for different people we have different bodies we enjoy different things and i don't believe that exercise is something you do as a punishment for what you ate or um that you hate exercising and it's this thing you have to do. Um, so I believe exercise should be something you love and it's fun and you actually walk out thinking, hey, I want to do that again. So Definitely. Mm-hmm. Exercise shouldn't be an obligation. I mean, it, you should exercise, don't get me wrong, but it shouldn't have to be like, ugh, I now have to exercise yeah, again. Exactly, exactly. So exercise is, it's very important for exercise to be fun. That's it. And it's important because it is a, a, you know, it's, it's, it plays a part in our wellness, in our health. But if it's something you've got such a negative association to because you don't enjoy it, why on earth would you do it again? You definitely wouldn't do it again. No, or exactly. you'd be, you'd do it very begrudgingly. That's it. Can you explain to us what yoga is? You mentioned that's sure. one of your big. Yeah, movements. sure. So, okay, so um, I'm definitely, I want to just start off by saying I am absolutely not a guru on this, so I I definitely won't have all the answers, but I'm going to just maybe talk you through my understanding of it and how it's changed my life personally. So I think like when we, when we speak about yoga, most people suddenly will have a vision in their minds or draw up a, a picture of like, um, someone standing with their, with their legs that are wrapped around their ears or like some weird position that you've got to be flexible and you look like a pretzel. And <laughs> so the truth is that yoga, um, okay, so it's a complicated thing for me to explain, but yoga as the word, the word yoga means union. And really what it is, it's, it's a set of physical, mental and spiritual practices that are drawn from ancient Indian philosophy and Hinduism. Um, so when most people think about yoga, they think about the one aspect, which is the physical practices, the postures or asanas. And um, lots of people will say, oh, I want to do yoga, but I'm not flexible. And my answer to that is that's exactly why you should do yoga. To make you flexible. Well, not actually. The truth is that um, there's a lovely saying, yoga is for everybody, meaning you don't have to have a specific body type to do yoga. 
And it doesn't matter if you come to a yoga class and 20 people can touch their foreheads to the floor or touch their toes and you can't get past your knees. It actually doesn't matter. What we learn in yoga is that the aim of yoga is not the posture. It's what we learn while we're trying to do the posture. I see. That's very interesting because when most people think of yoga, it's like, oh, if you can do this position, then you're good. If you can't, then exactly. not so good. Exactly. So um, we do yoga. And actually, it's, yeah, it would be wonderful if you develop flexibility. But for me, it's about actually building enormous strength in your body. And again, the reason I love it so much is because it's a very connecting practice. You get very connected to your body. You learn how to respect your body. You learn to listen to your body, not to force your body. Definitely. You get strength is also very important. You get people who can do all these crazy positions, but they can't hold them Mm -hmm. for three seconds. Right. Because their body isn't strong enough to do that. Right. Or they just push their body into a position that they can can only hold for one second. So I love that you've just said that because I believe that, which is very common when you begin a yoga practice and you want to do all the postures, you kind of like charge into them. And what I've learned, which I did, I did also when I began yoga, I would go to these classes and see these like amazing things and think, Oh, I want to do that. And then charge into it. And what I've learned now is rather to let the yoga fit my body, not to make my body fit the yoga. So it's a, it's a subtle kind of mind shift, but it's enormous in terms of what it does for your, um, your wellness, your mental wellness. It's very important. You mustn't push yourself. You mustn't try and be like someone else. That's it. You, you have got to it. use your body to do what you can do. That's it. Are there different styles of yoga? Yes, there are. So um, depending, and again, I don't know, I, I really can't profess to know a lot about this, but as far as I understand, there are like to to study yoga and to understand the lineages, where the postures come from, they all linked to the different gurus, the, the 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 lineages that have been teaching the different styles. But a few of them that maybe your listeners have heard of. Um, so like at my studio, we offer hot yoga, which is traditionally known as Bikram yoga. After the man Bikram, his first name was Bikram. That's why we call it Bikram yoga. Um, it's usually done in a heated room um, and it follows a set sequence. So every class you come to, it's the same 26 postures. Um, then you get something called Ashtanga yoga, which also has a set sequence. Then you get something called flow yoga or vinyasa yoga, which is you come to a class and you don't know what poses you're going to do and it changes on day, you know, from class to class. There's a new yoga, a newish yoga called Budokan yoga. So there are lots of different yogas. And the best suggestion is to, if you're curious about yoga, the effects it has on your mind, um, your, you know, your stress levels, your ability to work on your spirituality or your, you know, your connection to your body. My suggestion is to explore them and find what works for you. Exactly. As we were mentioning earlier, yeah. what works for one person does not work for another one. Exactly. Guys, let me rephrase that. What, what works for <laughs> one person does not necessarily work for another person. That's it. Do you offer more than one of these styles at your practice? So at the moment, we just do the Bikram series. Um, and then hopefully as the studio grows, we'll introduce different styles. 
were there always lots of styles of yoga? Mm-hmm. Or was it one and then sort of split up? No, so there've always been different schools of thought, different uh, different styles. Yeah, that's been around for ages. Different opinions. Yeah. Definitely. And diff- and also different teachers have different styles of teaching. So it's important to find the teachers that you connect with. Do you like what do you like most about your about yoga? So Sure, there are like so many things, but I suppose I really believe that yoga changed my life because it changed the way that I think about a lot of things. So, for example, if you're lucky enough to have really skilled and experienced teachers, um, you pick up things on the mat, on your yoga mat, that that you can take into the world with you. For example, if you fall out of a pose an asana, a posture. Hopefully what the teachers will tell you is it doesn't matter if you've fallen out, you get straight back in. Now that's a life lesson. Like if we get knocked down, it doesn't mean you quit. It means you get up and you try again. And that it doesn't have to be, well, I can't do the posture the way this girl's doing the posture, so I'm not even going to try, right? It teaches us that our, who we are and who someone else is and um, it's no point there's no point in comparing who we are to other people. We just try to be the best version of ourselves and easy does it and day by day, if you keep practicing, we get better. And exactly. I think those are life lessons. So that's why I think yoga is just the most amazing practice. For sure. I love the saying goes four fall seven times, get up eight. Yeah. No matter how many times you fall, you can always get back up. And there are people who fall take a baby when it first starts to walk, takes one step and then it falls and mm-hmm. it gets back up. Another mm-hmm. step falls, another two steps maybe falls, so on and so on until the baby learns to walk. Exactly. Can you if imagine the baby if a baby didn't get up? Exactly. Can you imagine if a baby thought, nah, this isn't for me. <laughs> I'm not going to try again, you know? Yeah. Then no one would be able to walk. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, is there anything you don't like about yoga? So the truth is that sometimes it's really challenging. Um, and it's a discipline. That's, that's the thing, you know, like often if we've had a long day and we're tired or we've got work to do or children who need us or homework or whatever it is, it's difficult sometimes to drag yourself to your mat. So sometimes it's challenging. And again, because it's a very body connected practice, Sometimes you'll you'll do a posture and you're not even really sure why, but it releases emotion or you suddenly have thoughts that you don't know where they come from. So it's a, it can be challenging. But I think, like anything, um, if we want to get better at things, we've got to practice. And it takes discipline to get there sometimes. So I don't know if there's anything I don't like about it. I think I just sometimes find it hard to make it to my mat. I see. Mm. So it's quite different. Are there any poses that you specifically found very difficult? Yes, definitely. So there's one pose. It's called camel pose in the in the Bikram series. Um, that is a real, what they call a heart opener. So you actually burst your chest forward while you, oops, sorry, you lean your head back and you look at the wall behind you. And if you can, you lean all the way back and it really opens your chest but while your head is up. So I find that incredibly challenging. And I always find that while I'm doing it, I'm like, oh, I hate this. Why am I doing this? 
Um, but it's because it, it is an uncomfortable position for me. And I think, again, what I've learned is that I naturally tend to avoid that posture. Isn't that true in life? We, like, avoid the things we don't really want to do. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. So how how do you avoid it? You just tell the teacher you don't want to do it? I you... don't. That's the trick. I don't avoid it. I actually do it. But what I've learned is that I don't have to push myself so hard. I can just do, like, for example, the first part of the posture. I don't have to go at it with horns every time I do it. You don't have to push yourself so hard yeah exactly as we were saying earlier you need to know what your body is okay with you can't push yourself too far exactly what motivated you to become a social worker so i think like how we began our interview i've always really enjoyed meeting people i'm really i'm an extrovert even when i met you Earlier on, I'm like outgoing. I'm not particularly shy and I wanted to help people. Um, I didn't really know where the course of my work would take me. I had no idea when I began this however many years ago that goodness, I'd be, I'd be running a yoga studio, working with women with eating disorders. I had no idea about that. But underpinning all of this is a deep desire to connect to people and to, um, assist people in their journeys of life. It's very important that you you have to be a people person. I think so. I think so. I think it makes you um, relatable. And it, it's you're a better social worker if you have that. Yeah. So we've been talking a lot about yoga and mm. all your studios mm. and movements, but let's not forget that you are actually a social worker. Mm-hmm. Can you explain to us what confidentiality is and how you enforce it? Yeah, sure. So I always, this is, this is something I say to patients or clients when they come and see me for the first time. I think that it's a very awkward and unnatural relationship. It's a weird thing to come and sit down in a room with somebody that you have absolutely no idea who they are. And you kind of know that you're there because you've got a problem or a challenge. And so that naturally means you're going to, you're going to be required to talk about things that are private or personal or difficult. So why is this ethic of confidentiality so important? Because people need to feel as safe as they can to share what they need to. And how we enforce it is that if someone is over the age of 18, no matter who phones me, the mother, the father, the president, the whoever, I am not allowed to tell them anything about what has been discussed unless I think that person is going to hurt themselves. So if they will suicide or if they will hurt somebody else, if they will, if they are homicidal, those are the, those are those in, in the case of over 18s, the only time that you can break confidentiality. Is it different for children? It is. So in the case where um, child abuse is reported, there are ethics that have to be followed um, quite strictly. Can you tell us where you would like to be in five years' time? In five years' time, I'd love to be back here talking to you and seeing where you've gone in your life because you're just an amazing person. Thank you. But in my life, I would really like to be teaching yoga and really hopefully running a very successful studio. I hope you get there. You seem Thanks. like very into your work. Thanks, Bria. I really am. I'm very passionate about what I do. I can see that. And how can people contact you? So um, I 
I can um, give out my cell phone number, um, or maybe I can actually leave it with you guys, and if anybody needs it, they'll phone you. But otherwise, um, I, I really think Facebook's probably the easiest. So they can search for me, Candice. My, I actually practice under my maiden name, which is Garen, G-A-R-R-U-N, Candice Garen, or my studio, which is called Mind Body Connect. Okay, thank you. Thank you. And thank you so much for coming in, Chai Kids, and teaching us more about the awesome work you do. I really enjoyed this. I really learned a lot. Oh, thanks, Bria. Thanks for having me, guys. Such a pleasure. Thank you so much for my guest, for coming on Chai Kids, and thank you to my producer, Mandy, and DJ Flo, for pushing the big red buttons. Join us tomorrow for another Chai Kids show, only on 101.9 Chai FM. This has been Chai Kids, 4Kids, Bye, kids!